morning and welcome again to Tri-Cities Church. I'm Wesley. If this is your first time visiting here, I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad that you came to join with us this Sunday. Um, I'm excited this Sunday because we're continuing our, our series called Takeover. But then also I'm excited because we're getting ready to begin a new series, right? So we've been in this series. We're just simply calling it uh, Takeover. And it's about surrendering our lives to God. And the, the goal of this series was to look at what it looks like practically, in a very practical way, for us to surrender our lives to God. Because we say that, right? We say, I surrendered my life to God, or I gave my life to God, or since I gave my life to Christ. And, and very rarely, at least in the settings that I've been in, very rarely have we said, what does that look like in a very practical way? What are the steps that I would take? What are the questions that I would ask? And and so what we've been doing in this series is trying to go through some of that, trying to dig deep into the scriptures and then also look at our lives practically. And the one encouragement that I've been offering is this, is that because of this setting, we can only do that at at a a certain level, right? There's some work that has to happen on your own. There's some work that has to happen in your homes and and when you're at work and, and when you're in your quiet times. There's some work that has to happen in those places where you say, what does it look like for me? Not, not what does it look like in general to surrender my life to Christ, but what does it look like for me to surrender my life to Christ? And so that's what we've been, that's what we've been trying to wrestle with um, over these last two weeks. And so this is the last week in this series. Now, next week, we're beginning this new series, and we're just simply calling it Seriously, right, with a question mark. Maybe I should say it different. Seriously? Right. Um, because we, there's this, well, this text is called the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Matthew five, six and seven. And it's Jesus sermon. And some of the stuff that he says there would make people go seriously. Like, really? Um, and, and so that's what we want to do. We just want to we want to look at that text and we want to go through all all three of those chapters. And we want to look at what what um, what Jesus is saying, why people were going seriously and then really what he meant by it. And if he was really serious. And what that means for our lives. All right. So let's uh, let's pray this morning. We're beginning in John chapter three and uh, we'll pray and we'll dig straight down into this this chapter. Um, God, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for. For calling for for the fact that you've called us friend. God, we're grateful um, that you've chosen to uh, to love us. God, my mind keeps going back to that scripture that says, while we were your enemies, that you poured out your love for us. God, that's powerful. And not only have you poured out your love for us, but you've promised to be with us every step of the way. So in this life, God, may we be reminded that you are with us. God, in this moment, may we be reminded that you are with us. Because we're getting ready to read scripture. And this just isn't ordinary reading. We need your help. And so, God, as we read these scriptures, as we study them, as we wrestle with them and wrestle with the complexities of life in light of these scriptures, God, may you guide us in the way of everlasting. May you guide us in the way of truth. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we're introduced in John chapter 3. You might be familiar with this story, and maybe not. But we're introduced to this guy by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a a Jewish leader. He was a a leader um, in the Jewish religion. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he has this secret meeting with Jesus at night. And so he comes to him in the privacy of nighttime. 
Now, if you're familiar with, or maybe not familiar with isn't the right word, but if you, if you can think back to that time period, there was no such thing as lights, right? There, there wasn't electricity. They, everything was done by candlelight. And so nighttime, people actually slept. Um, <laughs> we spent some time uh, over the past year up in New Jersey and then spent some time in New York, the city that never sleeps, right? It never sleeps. You can be in Times Square at midnight, and there's people all over the place. There's traffic happening. There's business happening. People are selling stuff out on the streets. It, it's literally the city that never sleeps. In, in many ways, Atlanta's becoming similar to that. Um, it, increasingly, Atlanta's becoming the city that, that doesn't sleep. But in the biblical times, in, in Jerusalem, in, in the Bible time period, it was a city that slept, right? People went to sleep. When it got dark outside, you went in your home, you only had candlelight. And, and there were things, and this is kind of where this, this ideal of this uh, deeds of darkness and, and, and then the actions of light come from, because things happened in the dark that were unspeakable, um, because there was no light there. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Because he's curious about Jesus. He was a Jewish leader, and here comes Jesus, and Jesus was a Jew, and he's teaching stuff that was unconventional, unorthodox. He's teaching things that were raising controversy. People were beginning to talk about this Jesus guy, and Nicodemus wanted to know more because he was curious, but he didn't want to go to Jesus in the daylight because he was afraid that he'd be seen talking with Jesus and that he might be associated with Jesus publicly. And so he went to Jesus privately and had this conversation with him. You know, when you think about it, that's the way faith begins for many of us. We go to Jesus privately. Now, we may have heard a story. We may have heard someone talking about, um, talking about Jesus or talking about their faith or explaining it. But, but ultimately, we don't just shout out loud about our faith first, but we go to Jesus privately. And maybe it happened for you like it happened for me in this moment in the middle of the night when I was set on the side of my bed and I prayed this prayer that, God, if you are really real, make it known. If there's really something to you, show me. Let me see it. In this private moment, let me see it. Let me know that you are real so that something can happen in my life publicly. You see, that's the common trajectory of the Christian life. What we see happening in Nicodemus' life is that he goes from curious to committed. But his curiosity started in the privacy, in the darkness of the night where he could not be seen. And I love the way this story plays out because we see Nicodemus twice more in Scripture. And we don't have time to go all the way through John chapter 3, nor do we have time to go through John chapter 7 where Nicodemus appears again, or through John chapter 19 where he appears again. But, but if you read those texts, you'll see that he's, he's on this journey towards faith. And he's moving uh, through, through, through the years, actually, as he encounters Jesus, as he learns more about him, he's moving from this point of curiosity where he feels like he has to hide in the shadows of the night, where he's not willing to live out his faith publicly and boldly. And then in John chapter 19, we encounter this Nicodemus that is at the cross and he's helping to bury Jesus. He's willing to say, I'm, I'm willing to lay my life on the line for this guy named Jesus. He moves from curious to committed, from private to public. He lays his life down. And this happens in our lives as well. 
Now, one of the things that I love about this story is that Nicodemus didn't just sit on his questions. That, that's typically, or a lot of times, what, what I want to do, right? Because I, I have these questions about faith. And the reality is we live in a complex world that makes faith a little difficult to understand sometimes and grapple with the truths of Scripture. So Nicodemus was doing this very same thing. He had all these questions that were raised as he heard these stories about Jesus, as he learned more about who Jesus is and the claims that he was making. He had all these questions. And whenever we have these questions, we have two options, right? We can take those questions and bury them. We can act like they don't exist. We can say there's no easy answer and not pursue the answer. Or we can pursue answers. We can go to Jesus at night. We can pray and we can ask. We can seek and see if there's a true answer to the questions that we're wrestling with. What we see in Nicodemus' life is that he was inquisitive. He was curious. He had questions. He didn't just sit on them. He didn't bury them. He didn't turn his face and act like they didn't exist. But he asked these hard questions. He went to Jesus and asked these hard questions. And in fact, his faith is, in, is authenticated by his inquisitiveness. By the very fact that he asked these questions, that shows that his faith was genuine and that it was true. Now, sometimes we think, we think otherwise. We're, we're tempted to think that our faith means that we have this thing all figured out. We have no doubts. We have no questions. And, and we're not inquisitive. We're curious. But, but we, we know the truth on which we stand. But Nicodemus didn't want to, to act like those questions didn't exist. But he, his true faith seeks answers to the questions that are in the soul and refuses to bury them because the reality is they're going to creep up in our lives again. Right? We can bury these questions we have about the faith and not seek answers and not pray and not study the scriptures. But the reality is in the course of life, these questions will arise again and again and again. And so for Nicodemus, he didn't bury them, but he sought answers, and his faith itself was authenticated. It was shown to be genuine by his inquisitiveness, by the fact that he was curious and didn't sit on it, and he asked questions. And so we have this kind of this wonderful image of this guy, Nicodemus, who goes to Jesus at night and has this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus takes time to have this conversation and to talk with Nicodemus about what it means to surrender his life to God. And I believe that this very conversation served as the catalyst for Nicodemus to move from curious to committed. It was the catalyst. It was the thing that motivated him, that propelled him, that pushed his life to go to deeper levels and understanding of who Jesus was so that he could, in, uh, through his understanding, move to deeper levels of faith and commitment to Jesus. You see, Jesus taught Nicodemus clearly what it meant to surrender his life to God. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. It says this. This is Jesus in this conversation with Nicodemus. It says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so Nicodemus is, uh, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus this, this very simple truth um, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And there's two concepts there that we want to explore. The first is kingdom. The second is born again. Now, we talked about kingdom several months ago. You may remember this. That the kingdom is, is the territory over which a king rules. And those who live as, um, live as citizens of the kingdom are those who have submitted their life to the king. 
And so when the Bible's talking about the kingdom of God, it's talking about the territory over which the Lord rules and those who have submitted their lives, surrendered their lives to, uh, to God as king. And so he says no one can see the kingdom. No one can get near the kingdom, not even near enough to see it unless he is born again. And this is the topic that I want to explore this morning is what does it mean to be born again? Because often we talk about being born again as though it happens in a moment and then we're done and our lives are totally new and everything is changed. But the reality is, and Jamie even talked about this during worship, and that's that this is a process that we surrender our lives to God and it happens progressively as we walk with God and as God has chosen to walk with us. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus that, yes, this is, you have to surrender your life to God. You have to be born again. But, but this is how it happens. And I love Nicodemus' question, kind of his follow-up question to Jesus, when Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, how can, and this is in verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. And so he asked the kind of duh question, right? This is kind of duh. I mean, what, what's, what do you mean be born again? That, that's not possible. And so Jesus pulls out this phrase, this concept of being born again. And Nicodemus doesn't just sit on that question, um, but he asks he ask it. He pursues answers. You know, I went through a time in my life when I realized that as I read Scripture, that I was sitting on my questions, that I was not pursuing answers. In fact, I was just reading it. And I've been, I've been on kind of on this, uh, this, this topic for the last three weeks. I notice it keeps coming up on Sunday morning. And, and it's just that the Scripture is not ordinary reading. It's not like reading a novel. It's not like reading a book. It's not like a, a good story. It's not ordinary reading. But I went through life, and I discovered that I was reading the Bible like ordinary reading. Like I was just trying to get from beginning to end, trying to get from the beginning of one chapter to the end of that chapter, the beginning of one book to the end of that book, trying to read the Bible, getting from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And I remember sitting down at the beginning of one year and saying, I'm going to read Scripture all the way through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to write down every question that I have because I'm going to pursue answers. And it changed my life radically because I refused to just sit on my questions. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was faced with two options, right? He, he could either say, okay, I, okay, I get that. When he really didn't, he could just read past that and just say, okay, what next? Or he could ask the question. And I think the challenge that's on my heart for you is don't be afraid to ask questions about God. Don't be afraid to interrogate the scriptures, to ask questions about what does that mean? What's going on there? And don't just answer those, ask those questions, but pursue answers. Pursue answers to the questions that are in your heart. And read it not just like ordinary reading, but read it like the living word of God that speaks to us and leads us in the way of truth. Because that's what the scriptures have been given to us for. And so we have this story, and it's an amazing story of Nicodemus having this conversation with Jesus. But it raises questions not just for Nicodemus, but it raises questions for us as well. And so this week I wrestled with that. 
And I came with this principle, and it's something that I, you know, if you Googled it, you're probably not going to come up with it in any kind of search. I'm not sure any other preacher actually came up with this, this principle. I don't know if it's, you know, it's, it's not really an original thought. It's just it's taking what the scripture says. But, but Nick, Jesus teaches Nicodemus this principle. And just for the sake of discussion this morning, we're going to call it the principle of reproduction. He teaches him the principle of reproduction. Now, reproduction is the process through which things duplicate themselves, right? All living things reproduce. Plants reproduce. This, this time of year, right, you, you have a lawn. Maybe you try to keep your grass weed-free, right, and these, or a flower bed weed-free, and these weeds seem to be reproducing themselves. It seems like as you pull them up, more come, right? It almost seems like it's a, it's a losing match, right? The more you pull them up, the more that come. Animals reproduce themselves. In our neighborhood, we have this, this, uh, this Facebook group for the Conley Hills um, neighborhood group, and I'm always noticing when there people are talking about all these stray dogs running in the street these dogs are reproducing themselves right they won't let you adopt a dog anymore unless your dogs have already been spayed or neutered because they reproduce they become more and more so there's this principle of reproduction and that's that humans reproduce animals reproduce plants reproduce all living things reproduce but in the scripture nicodemus begins teaching jesus that our thoughts desires and actions reproduce that if we have thoughts, whether good or bad, if we allow them to linger long in our lives, that they'll reproduce themselves. And if we have desires, whether good or bad, if we dwell on them and allow our mind to sit with them for a long time, that they'll begin to reproduce themselves. And if we have actions, whether they honor God or dishonor God, right? If we, if we, push forward, pursue those actions again and again and again. They become easier, and they reproduce themselves. And Jesus teaches Nicodemus this very simple principle. It comes right from creation that things reproduce, living things reproduce, and so do your thoughts, your desires, and actions. Look exactly at what Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 5. And this is John chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You see, the Bible uses this term flesh to refer to the part of a human being, the inclination within humans to live lives that dishonor God. This is the part of human beings that do bad things, that does bad things, that dishonors God, that lives in a way, or that at least pursues this, is this rebellious part of, of human beings. I love that scripture in Psalm chapter 51. Listen to what uh, David says there. He says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, he's not saying that he was guilty of these sins that he already committed. Like, he didn't come out, like, slicing and dicing people or whatever, um, robbing people or any of that kind of stuff, right? But, but he's saying that I was rebellious from as early as I can remember, right? There's rebellion deep down in my soul, and when I try to do right, I find there's rebellion with me. And I find myself doing things that I don't want to do and pursuing a way of life that is not honoring of God. Surely I was sinful at birth. There's rebellion in me, and I fight against it every day. It's a war going on in my soul, and I'm waging war against it. 
The Bible calls that the flesh. This rebellious nature that's a part of every human being is not really something to be ashamed about, but it's something that we have to recognize so that we can fight, so that we can press back against it. And so this is a part of every human being. But then the Bible uses this other word, this, the spirit. And the spirit is the part of, of human beings, or at least the gift of God that enables us to live a way that honors God. And so we have this rebellious nature that's always pushing back against God and the things of God, not wanting to do the things of God. We have this rebellious nature that's natural. You see it even in little children. This rebellious nature. And then there's the spirit which is God's gift, it enables us to live differently. It enables us to live lives that honor God. And what Jesus says here is that flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh reproduces itself. And spirit gives birth to spirit. The spirit of God in us reproduces itself. And there's this war that's going on within human beings, within followers of Christ, Because the spirit is there, but there's also flesh there. And we have to wage that war. And there's several scriptures that really allude to this, that talk about this in in, in, um, kind of an elaborate way. One is in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 5. And I'm going to read this this, this section uh, for a little bit. It's it's kind of a long passage, but Romans chapter 8, verse 5. And just um, either follow along with me or even just listen. It says, those who live according to the flesh right, this rebellious nature, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind is governed by, uh, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, and he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have chosen to follow Christ. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, he's not raising this as a reason to doubt and say, well, I'm doing things that don't honor God, so I must not have God's spirit. But he's saying that if you're continuously pursuing, rejecting God's spirit uh, in pursuit of things that don't honor God and ignoring God's, the spirit of God's promptings in your life, then, then that is not of Christ. In verse 10, it says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you would die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You see, in the Scriptures, it's constantly reminding us of an action that all believers must take, that all followers of Christ must take, and that is putting to death the flesh, killing the flesh 
as it rises up in our lives, as we notice it, as we recognize it, we must put it to death. There's another scripture. Um, It's at the end of... um, I'm just going to pick up right at the end of Galatians. I know something's different probably on the screens, but I want you to, I want you to hear this. It says, those who belong, this is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Time and time again, the scriptures are reminding us of our responsibility to crucify the flesh, to kill the flesh. It's something that is with us. Surely we were rebellious. We were fleshly from the time we were born. And we find ourselves living in that rebellion. And we we take on this guilt. We take on this shame. And the Bible says this, and and it's very clear here, um, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then it says that God did not send his son to condemn us, but to save us. That scripture is saying, do not take on the guilt from your fleshliness. Do not take on that shame and carry it and think you can carry it through the rest of your life from your fleshliness. Because God does not condemn you. But he walks with you into a new way of life that is marked by the killing of the flesh and allowing the Spirit of God to bring about new life within you. I was trying to think this week of an illustration. We just bought a house right over here in, in East Point, and so we just moved. I guess it was about a month ago we moved right over here, just about a mile around the corner from here. And so... Um, for the first time, I have this house that I'm really responsible for and that I care about because I'm not really, I'm not renting. Now, if you rent properties, I'm sorry, but a lot of times renters aren't as invested in your property as you are. And so now not, like, I'm concerned about my yard, right? I'm concerned about the paint color. I'm concerned about all these different things. And so I was looking into lawn care and they have this product that's called weed and feed because our, our yard has, it's, it's in pretty good condition. It doesn't have a lot of weeds. But there's some spots that are kind of browning, and there's some spots that have a few weeds. And so I, I was looking into a product called Weed and Feed and what it does um, to, to kind of restore my yard. And so, because I want to have the greenest yard on the street. Like, I, 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 I'm just going to be honest. There, there's kind of a competition factor going on there. There's this, I am, when I drive off of my street, I, I'm kind of comparing myself to other people. I, I'll admit that, and I've professed it to God. Um, and I'm trying to get them to strive for excellence as well. <laughs> and so, so there's this product called Weed and Feed. And what it does is it does two things, right? It kills the weeds because the weeds will take over a yard. If you're familiar with the way weeds work, they reproduce rapidly, right? They will take over a yard. It, it kills the weeds and it feeds the grass. It fertilizes it. It causes it to grow and turn green. You know, that's kind of the same thing the Scripture is calling us to do. It's to kill the weeds, kill the bad things, do away with the flesh, because it's going to reproduce, and it's going to take over, and it's going to kill out the grass. It's going to kill out the Spirit. It's going to overwhelm the Spirit of God that's in our lives. We must kill it. We must wage war against it. We must weed it. We must uh, (laughs) spread this weed and feed all over our lives. (laughs) That's corny. Um, (laughs) 
But, as, <laughs> but we must feed the Spirit at the same time so that it can green, so that it can grow, so that it can flourish. You know, the Scripture is clear. There's fleshliness that we were born with, and it will overwhelm us. It will take over our lives if we're not proactive and if we don't do something about it. And so we must wage war against the flesh while feeding the Spirit. And I think the question for us is, what does that look like? Like in our lives, what does it look like to kill the flesh while feeding the Spirit? And I just, you know, there's no, like I said, there's, there's this kind of a general just points, and there's these questions that came to my mind during the week. And I just want to just kind of just share these with you, and then hopefully you can wrestle with these in your own life. The first thing that we must do in order to kill the flesh and feed the Spirit is that we must examine our lives. We must look introspectively. We must look at our lives, and, and these are some questions that you can ask. What are my desires and, and cravings? Right? What are the things that I'm, that I'm craving for? And the interesting thing about cravings and desires are these are the things that can be hidden from other people. Nobody really knows what we're craving, but you know. And so what are my desires and cravings that dishonor God and are not for the things of God? And maybe you want to sit down this week and write some of these down and just list them out so that you can be aware of them and pray about them and work towards something different. But what are my desires and cravings that dishonor God? What are my influences? Who's around me? We talked about that a couple of, couple of weeks ago. Although we're responsible for our actions that dishonor God, there is, there is truth in that there are things that influence us. There are external things that influence us and, and that shape our actions and that drag us away in a negative direction in a way that dishonors God. So what are my cravings? What are my desires? What are my influences? Who's around me? What people are around me? How, do, how does being in this place influence my actions? How does being in a different place influence my, my actions? And then what are my intentions and motives? What are my plans? That's a hard question, right? What are my, what are my intentions? What are my motives? What am I planning to do? What do I have set in my heart for me to do? We have to ask ourselves these questions because it's through interrogating ourselves, through asking these questions, through examining our own lives, we become aware of the things within us that dishonor God. The scriptures is clear, is that sin and actions, rebellion does not begin externally. It begins within. And so we have to be careful to take a deep introspective look at our own lives to see what's going on on the inside. And be honest with ourselves, to, to write these things down, to be, take a mental note of them, to make sure that we're aware of them, because we have to know what's going on in our own life. We talked the first week about these kind of, these four steps, right? You're, you're admitting the things that you struggle with um, and, and your actions that dishonor God. And then we said, and then we said admitting is like confessing. That's what the Bible calls confessing. And then you're owning those things. These are, these are my struggles. These aren't somebody else's. Yeah, there's external things that influence them, but they're my struggles. I, I own them. All right? And then we're, we're working to transform them. We're working with God to transform these things as they appear in our life. And then we're moving on. We're not carrying that guilt and that burden and that pain. And so we, we have to be aware so that we can do that. So we have to ask ourselves these questions so that we can admit so that we can confess it, right? So that we can own it, so we can transform it, and so that we can move on past it. And so we have to, to ask ourselves these questions, to be aware. The second thing I want to um, talk about is uh, spiritual disciplines. 
Um, we don't talk a lot about spiritual disciplines, at least not by that word. But spiritual disciplines are practices like prayer, like worship, gathering for worship, like meditating on God's scripture, which isn't like sitting uh, um, with your legs crossed, humming and reading scripture or any of that. But it's, it's just it's reading over it and allowing it to sit with you and thinking about it and allowing your mind to run over it and, it, and allowing the scriptures to speak um, to you. Maybe this is a silent moment between you and God where you're just sitting there with the scriptures and saying, God, what would you have me to hear or know? There's these, these spiritual disciplines. And we'll talk more about these sometime in the future. And maybe we'll even um, do some kind of special class on spiritual disciplines. Um, but it's prayer. It's, it's reading the scriptures. It's studying. It's spending time in solitude. It's meditating on God's word. Right? These things act like guardrails in our lives. They function like guardrails. If you're familiar with, like, on a road, you have these rails that keep you from running off a cliff. You just, I have this mental image of this guy that's driving up a mountain, right? And there's these guardrails, and he falls asleep behind the wheel. And he runs into one of the guardrails. And he gets out of the car, and he looks at the damage that was done to his car. Right? He has two, one of two responses. One response is he could uh, kick the guardrail and say, look what you did to my car. Or he could look at the guardrail and say, look what you saved me from. Right? Spiritual disciplines function like guardrails in our lives. Right? You might not see the results right away, but they keep us from danger. They keep us from harm. And the Bible is constantly encouraging us to pursue that. Pursue prayer. Because even though it may feel uncomfortable at first, talking to someone that you cannot see Right? It's almost like talking to yourself. At least it can feel that way. Although it may feel uncomfortable at first, pursue it. Learn how to pray. Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Gather, even though it may feel uncomfortable at first, gather with other people for worship. Because that's a guardrail in your life. It's keeping you from danger. Pursue it. Continue to pursue it. We talked last week about God's promises, right? That God's promises, um, we have to stand on God's promises, place full confidence in God's promises, even though they have not been uh, proven in our lives. But you remember what we said is that when we stand on God's promises, that when we trust in God, that God's promises will prove themselves. And we'll have a record of God's faithfulness that's not disconnected because it's not about other people's lives that we're reading about in the scriptures, but it's personal and it's real. And it's saying, I know that God is real because I've met him. I've experienced him in my life. His promises have been proven in my life. I pursued these guardrails and he kept me safe. And I have a story to tell. So spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are important because they function like guardrails uh, in our lives. And then the final thing is we must wage war against the flesh. We must fight it. We must not let it win. So it's not just about being aware of what's going on in our lives, but it's about waging war, fighting it. It's about correcting ourselves, disciplining ourselves, setting healthy boundaries. There's a war that's going on. This series has been called Takeover. We've had this image that's up on the screen of this white flag. Whenever there's two forces that go against one another, 
um, they both carry into battle their battle flags, right? They carry into battle their war flags, and they go in prepared to fight. We've carried into war our war flag. But we've come up against God. And as we saw in the first week in Psalm 139, it says he knows everything about us. That there's nothing that's hidden from God. That God has complete and perfect knowledge about us. That we're hemmed in. We're besieged by God's knowledge. That if we go to the left, we bump into it there. If we go to the right, we bump into it. There's no escaping. And the only option for us is to surrender to God or to die fighting. We were all all born carrying a war flag. And whatever ends up happening in any war is that one of the forces ends up laying down its war flag and picking up its white flag and surrendering to God. And the scriptures are telling us that just makes sense. Because God is good and he knows all things. And he's calling us to surrender our lives to him. To carry our white flags and to lay them down and say, I surrender all. I am yours. God, please lead me in the way of perfection, in the way of life, and in the way of truth. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that although we carried our war flag into battle, although we were at one point your enemies, and we were insistent in living in a way that was in opposition to you, that was living in a way that was in opposition to your will for our lives, even though we were born rebellious, that you were not like any other force that you don't choose to overtake us and to pound us into the ground with your might, that you haven't chosen to pour out your anger and wrath in a way that just destroys us and wipes us off the face of the earth. But you've chosen to send your son, Jesus, to love us, to show us that you know everything about us, And that there's a better way. God, we don't want to go on any longer bloodied from battle. God, we don't want to fight this fight anymore. We've been convinced that we will lose. God, I thank you that that you've convinced us of that fact. God, and if we haven't been convinced, if there's these moments in our life where we want to pick up our war flag again, God, I pray that you will remind us that you are God and you are good. And surrender is not for our detriment, but it's for our betterment. So God, we take our white flags and we wave them vigorously because we want you to see that we surrender all to you. 
It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.